Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is the Wednesday, May 13th, 2020 episode. I am Andrew Hansen alongside Santino Cocone. And today it's New York Football Giants Wednesday, Santino. And it's it's the end of an era. Eli Manning is gone and retired. Uh, so big changes in New York. Yep. Uh, Eli's been a stable there since 2004. Uh, two Super Bowls. Countless record or franchise records. Uh, I mean, for all the bad mouth, I, we're we're from the New England area, uh, for all, in the Northeast. For all the bad mouthing that Giants fans gave Eli Manning, he got them two Super Bowls against uh, probably the best franchise in the last two decades. So, uh, sad day for for New York fans, but a lot to look forward to. Yeah, um, funny how uh, there was the passing of the torch to Daniel Jones last year and look for quite a while, like Eli might re- retire with a losing record, but he got that final win against your dolphins mm-hmm. to even his career record at 117 and 117 and make that hall of fame resume just a little bit stronger. So as a dolphins fan, how do you feel about that? Do you feel good that you, you know, potentially helped push him over the edge as a, as a hall of famer? Yeah, I'm um, I'm actually happy that it happened. It let us get to a to a in this year's draft. Uh, maybe the Chargers would have jumped us and taken them. So thank you, Eli. We're we're glad to help any way we can with uh, <laughs> with your Hall of Fame resume. I thought you might say that. Sort of a win <laughs> a win win from a Dolphins fan perspective. Yep. So well, uh, welcome in everybody as we continue our 32 day virtual tour of the NFL from a DFS perspective. We're breaking down one team at a time here at DFS Coach Talk. We are smack dab in the middle of the NFC East, and uh, the Giants are are on the on the table for today. If uh, if you haven't checked our website out, go check check it out at dfscoachtalk.com. We focus on NFL, NBA, and MLB, and we have weekly, monthly, and annual memberships. We invite you to come on in and try one. Those memberships are frozen until we get a major sport back in the U.S. We've got some really great news recently, things looking up for the NBA and MLB. And in the meantime, we're providing lineup advice for our members in the KBO, the Korea Baseball Organization. So even though we don't have American sports going on right now, we're very active at DFS Coach Talk, and we'd love to have you join the team. So Santino, um, this is the the changing of the guard with Eli Manning stepping aside finally. We also have an entirely new coaching staff in New York. You, you mentioned the Patriots, and it's mm-hmm. Joe Judge who's in charge now. He was the special teams coordinator for five years in New England, so he knows a thing or two about, about winning Super Bowls. Then we've got Jason Garrett coming in from Dallas as the offensive coordinator, and your boy Patrick Graham mm-hmm. coming up from Miami as the defensive coordinator. So uh, let's start with Joe Judge. What do you think about uh, Judge and how he might fit into the New York culture? Um, yeah, I mean, we we touched up on it briefly right before we went on. I kind of like him so far from what I'd seen. I don't know much about him uh, before his introductory post-conference and subsequently conferences after, but um, he looks to play the part of a New York guy. He has the demeanor. He has the attitude. Uh, everything he says and, and does so far, I mean, no games have started. We haven't seen practices, so I can't really evaluate there. But everything from a personal standpoint, he looks like the guy that can succeed in New York and a guy that 
if he does succeed, that people are going to rally around him because he he's that he has that New York attitude to him uh, so far. But again, um, if you you have to win in New York first and foremost, or you will get eaten alive. I, I think he's he's up for the job. We'll see how it goes. But we do know that. Um, I hope it's not the case because I have one in Miami as well. But Bill Belichick disciples haven't had the greatest history as or success as head coaches or other coaches outside of New England. So we'll see if that uh, can be a turnaround right there. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked his introduction introductory press conference. I, I liked how he started speaking right away about demanding excellence from his players, focusing in on every single play, and at the same time talking about valuing them as people and you know not just thinking of them as, you know, we're going to send them a paycheck and, and that's it. So certainly he wants to come in there and, and build a strong culture. And, uh, you know, if there's anything we can <laughs> count on, it's at least that they should have a strong special teams group. So yeah. <laughs> he's got that yeah. going for him because uh, we know how much they how much emphasis New England puts on the special teams game and finding an edge every single place they can, whether it's with the punter or the place kicker or the return game. So he's in charge and he's brought in a guy with a ton of experience, Jason Garrett, not only as a head coach, uh, strong winning record with Dallas, but also a strong offensive background. So let's talk about that a little bit because uh, he comes in and the Giants, I'd say the best thing about the New York Giants last year was their passing game. And in fact, they managed to score 30 touchdowns through the air, which was fifth in the NFL. And so they've got Jason Garrett coming to town and we may have some different thoughts on this, but <laughs> when he was the offensive coordinator in Dallas before he became the head coach, uh, there were four years there and each year Dallas was top 10 in passing yards. And uh, things have been a little bit different uh, once he became the head coach. But what do you think about the combination of, of Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know we had a little bit of differing opinions there, but similar uh, right before we went on. As an offensive coordinator for Dallas, as you mentioned, yeah, he was in the top 10 in passing yards every year, even the first couple of years as a head coach. Uh, but somewhere along the line, I think it was 2013-14, that entirely shifted to top 10 rushing offenses and bottom of the league passing offenses. Uh, we'll see which one wins out here. Uh, I know Joe Judge yesterday mentioned that um, uh, the the Giants offense is going to look a lot like, well, pretty much basically the same that it the Cowboys offense looked like in recent years. Uh so we'll see which philosophy wins out. But if it turns out to not be the completely wide open system that Daniel Jones had last year uh, where he was, we'll get into how his stats in a bit, but he was slinging it all over the place, came with a lot of turnovers. I know you want to get on that one, but if it's more of a conservative approach that we've come accustomed to with Garrett lately, that's a little troubling for Daniel Jones's uh, DFS and fantasy outlook. Yeah, you're right. That'll be interesting. I, I I hope for his sake and for his DFS sake that they'll he'll be able to continue to sling it all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, the 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 downside for Jason Garrett for me has been those conservative decisions, especially on fourth down, some of his game management. So that's what I'm really curious to see is how that play will play out and if Joe Judge will take a different approach and and you know make sure 
that the offense is a little bit more aggressive and the team is more aggressive as a whole. And and less vanilla and uh, predictable because that that unfortunately that has been a, a theme for the Cowboys. I know last year was a little bit different with Kellen Moore calling the plays, but they were still predictable. Um, hopefully that changes up a little bit and there's more inventiveness because if it becomes predictable, it not only hurts Daniel Jones, it hurts a lot of the playmakers and and Barkley as well. I know he maybe he gets more carries, but if it's very obvious when they're coming, um, you can stack the box against them. Yeah. So um, in, in terms of the numbers again, uh, I think the highlight was those 30 touchdown passes. Now the problem is the Giants' defense because they also allowed 30 touchdown passes, which was 25th in the league. And they also gave up 19 touchdowns on the ground, which was 28th in the league. You know, a lot of these teams, you'll see them really weak in one area or the other, the pass defense or the rushing defense. But to give up that many points through the air and on the ground, uh, obviously that's what contributed to them giving up 28.2 points per game, which was 30th overall. Um, So the defense is a real issue here. But again, many changes starting Mm -hmm. at the top with, Patrick Graham. Now he was the defensive coordinator down in Miami and they had a rough year overall in terms of the numbers. They were 30th in yards, 32nd in points, but you know, the dolphins as well as anybody, do you think those numbers are a fair reflection of his talent as a coach? Uh, not absolutely not to, um, this is the first time defensive coordinator job for, for Graham last year, uh, with the dolphins. And unfortunately, he had absolutely nothing to work with in terms of <laughs> NFL talent. Anybody who was really good or um, above average was pretty much shipped away with whatever they can get. Uh, so the fact that they started off so badly, poorly, and then they turned a corner in the second half speaks volumes to what he did in, in his one year as a coach. Uh, it's, it's very hard to put up numbers when you have nothing to work with, but he did his best there. And they played very hard for him to get – to start the season as bad as they did and to continually improve in the second half, they actually looked like an NFL team. Uh, it speaks volumes to a coach that can get the best out of players, even if they sometimes can't get the best out of themselves. So I, I like what he did there. Uh, and he does have ties with Joe Judge. They spent uh, four years with each other in New England. and uh, He was, or Graham was in New England a couple years before Judge arrived, but they have time together. And um, it's going to be a similar situation because they did lose Alex Ogletree, uh, Tay Davis, and Golden. They lost a lot of linebackers, um, pretty much overhauled their entire linebacking core this year, and their safeties. And they lost uh, Antoine Bethea, Janoris Jenkins. They lost a lot of – they were very bad defense, the Giants, last year in terms of uh, giving up touchdowns through the air. And then they lost – their back seven, they pretty much lost uh, five, six, seven people there. So – uh, they they did address a lot of needs in the draft, but not every draft pick comes in and makes an immediate impact. Yeah, and that's the way you describe those losses across the defense. That's really going to be a big challenge to try to overcome because you got some veteran names in there. So uh, let's talk about the draft a little bit, starting with those defensive picks, because uh, I know two of the first four picks were guys from the secondary who – the Giants are probably going to count on to come in and make some plays. Yeah, uh, definitely Xavier McKinney is first and foremost on that, their second-round pick. Uh, I don't know how he fell to the second round, to be honest. This kid was awesome last year. I think he's going to 
start from day one and he should rightfully so he uh, well as long as he can prove it and if he's able to start in day one and team up with Jabril, Jabril Peppers at both safety spots that's going to be a really good pair right there um, James Bradbury is probably going to be their number one corner with DeAndre Baker on the other side and then if McKinney can squeeze out that first year starter which I think he does he because he has that talent uh, Julian Love who isn't too bad at he can play uh, more of a nickelback and backup safety and that'll help them out there and um, Holmes from UCLA, I don't know how much of an impact he'll have in year one, but he has a lot of upside if he can grow into his own, and he could eventually uh, push for a number two corner job there. But as far as uh, the defense in general, it could still be attackable if um, in the right matchups. They don't have the depth at corner, and you need at least three in today's day and age, and uh, I don't know if they have two. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, I think we have to expect that early in the season we can attack the Giants with our offensive skill position players uh, for DFS and see if they can start to put it together at some point. But uh, I'm definitely going to want to attack them early in the season. Now, we were also able to use defenses against the Giants last year because they got to the quarterback <laughs> so much. And force so many turnovers. So let's start to talk about the offense and Daniel Jones. And I do want to start with with turnovers as we continue to talk about the draft a little bit. Because Daniel Jones fumbled the ball 18 times last year. And that is fifth all time. Wow. And he, he only started 12 games. He also threw a few passes there in, in the first week. So he played in 13 games, but he only started 12. And he had the fifth most fumbles ever. So that is a real, real issue, and yep. perhaps that's why they went with an offensive lineman in the first round of the draft. Yeah, um, this team, we mentioned in their defense that they lost a ton of linebackers, defensive backs, um, and their offensive line is bad. This team in the draft, all, all 10 of their picks, three on the offensive line, four linebackers, three in defensive backs. So they were targeting specific needs that they, that they had there. And yeah, their first pick, uh, Andrew Thomas. Some people, it, it was kind of a debate on who should go first, who should go next. But um, and I, I know they wanted Simmons, uh, stud defensive um, interior lineman there. But they needed they needed somebody to stabilize their two cornerstones on offense in Barkley and um, Jones. So they had to go with this the, the big unit out of Georgia, Andrew Thomas, protecting uh, Danny Dimes, <laughs> Danny Dimes' blind side. I think that's a, a really – he's going to start from day one. It, it, it's a nice upgrade there. And then Matt Pert, he, um, I'm a UConn guy, and he, he's from UConn. A big guy there. He, he has potential to uh, replace Nate Soldier in, in, in the future. I don't think he'll start this year. But he has the upside, kind of like Holmes, who in a year or two, he could groom himself into a very competent starter in this league. Um, and Soldier's in his 30s. But they wanted to address the line, and I think they did a pretty good job, and they, and they have to. I mean, uh, without the fumbles, in, I mean, even with all those turnovers and, and uh, quarterback hits and whatnot, the line, it, anybody who's been a New York fan or been around the area like we have the last couple years or so, the line has been an issue nonstop for Eli Manning, then last year Daniel Jones. It's been something that fans have been clamoring for and uh, – Throwing, throwing an excuse for our line stinks so-and-so for a while now. And they I'm glad that they finally 
went, let's do this. We have to fix this line because uh, if we don't, I don't know how we can keep Barkley upright for a long time. Yeah, that was an investment that the Giants just had to make. So wise approach there in the draft. And let's get into some of the positive numbers for Daniel Jones. In those 12 starts, he ended up throwing for over 3,000 yards and 24 touchdowns. And he had five games of over 300 yards and five games with at least two touchdown passes. And if you look at his four best games, the 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 positive note is that he had four games of over 30 fantasy points on DraftKings. Uh, the downside is that they were all against terrible teams <laughs> in terms of pass defense. They were against Tampa Bay, Detroit, the Jets, and Washington. So I think that's going to be the challenge for him this year is – can he start to produce more consistently against the tougher competition in the NFL? Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be it. And you chalk that up to uh, rookie year quarterback. I know some sometimes not lately quarterbacks and rookies in general just burst onto the scene. But the history of the game shows that it takes one, two, three years sometimes for these quarterbacks to gel into who they can be um and and yeah you mentioned he had four games over 32 DraftKings points he also had six games under 15 so it showed very inconsistently there um but 24 touchdowns and uh 251 yards per game that's nothing to slouch at if you if you look he would have been 18th if you a prorated 16 game season he would have been ahead of Aaron Rodgers and he would have threw for 4,000 yards uh prorated for 32 touchdowns and two on the ground that's not bad for, especially for a rookie, but definitely those. Uh, oh, and he had two, 279 rushing yards, but definitely 12 interceptions and 18 fumbles with 11 losses. Uh, I expect an improvement in a second year, but that's that's uh, almost Jameis Winston level there. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah, we, because he only lost 11 of those fumbles, he ended up with a barely better than one to one touchdown to turnover ratio with 24 touchdowns through the air and, and 23 turnovers. But I, I, I want to follow up on that point. I really want to underscore what you said that, you know, he had those great ceiling games against the poor competition, but then his floor was very low against the strong competition. So that'll be the thing to watch to see if he can get more consistent in year two. I think he will. We both like the um, position players, the, the skill position players that he has around him. Um, and, uh, so let's look at uh, the backup, Colt McCoy. Just in case Jones goes down, um, this is interesting because McCoy had a rough start to his career, but then he hasn't he hasn't played much lately. So, what do you think? Uh, what do you think will happen if he gets out on the field? Uh, he's a pretty good real life game manager for a, having as a backup quarterback. Uh, you don't want him to start on your team. You know, if he's starting on your team, that something went wrong with your season. But uh, if you need him to fill in for a game or two, he's not a bad guy to have out there. That said, fantasy-wise, uh, if I'm if I'm picking out my DraftKings or FanDuel lineup, I really don't want anything to do with him. Yes, he has some good weapons, but especially in a, what I think might be a, a little bit more conservative offense with Jason Garrett, he plays right into that hand, and he will be conservative if you need him to be. So I, I wouldn't expect big numbers from him, but he could he could get you a win uh, on in a real life game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and I think he's been hurt by the teams he's been on and the players that have been around him. I mean, the most he's played was those first two years in Cleveland when he was young 
and they didn't have much talent. So uh, kind of an unfortunate situation for him. And uh, kind of funny, they both averaged 6.6 yards per attempt, uh, <laughs> McCoy for his career, and then Jones, of course, for that first year. Um, well, let's start to talk about these skill position players. And thankfully, we get to start with somebody who's pretty exciting in Saquon Barkley. But, you know, one of the themes with the Giants is injury. They just didn't have everybody together throughout the season last year. So I think that's another thing the Giants fans can hope for uh, because Barkley missed three games. And so his overall production was a lot down, a, a lot lower than his rookie year. Yeah. Um, he And he dealt with a severe ankle sprain there. So I'm not going to hold anything against him. I don't know how he came back so early that he only missed three games. I thought he was going to miss a lot more than that, but that's, Kudos to him because he, he recovers quickly, and that's something that you want to have. Um, but, yeah, his, his numbers dropped off last year. With that said, and the injury said, this is, to me, the most exciting player in the NFL. Um, I think he's the best athlete in the NFL. And if I have to pick someone on my fantasy team that I'm going to pay up for um, I mean, in, in my lineup, I want him most of the time because he is that big playmaker that you uh, are going to get. Maybe sometimes he... There, there are a few games I know in the last two years that he went um, six carries, 15 yards, and you're like, ah, oh, you're in the third quarter, you're all stressed out. And then all of a sudden, you, you look at the score, 56-yard touchdown, Saquon Barkley. He has that big playability um, that few people have in this league, and it's through the air and it's through the ground. If you, if we take a look at his numbers, um, just, just out of big play running uh, in 2018, he was first in, in the league in 20-plus yard runs at 16. The next closest was 11. That was his rookie year, 2018, obviously. Uh, and he was first in the league in 40-yard runs at 7. The next closest was 4. So he, he pretty much doubled up on the next closest person to big plays in his rookie year. And last year, we mentioned he only played 13 games because of that ankle sprain. It was severe. And um, he looked he did look rusty when he came back, but still— you look at his big plays, they, it don't, doesn't show that that affected him too much, even though it did. He was fifth in the league in 20-plus yard runs. Uh, he had eight. The most was 11. So he was right there, even though missing three games and playing limited. And in 40-plus yard runs, he was fourth most at, th- at three. The most was, was uh, five. Um, and then through the air, sixth most 20-plus yard passes for running backs. He, he had six. And he was the second most for 40-plus yard receptions for running backs at two. The tops was three. Uh, same la- same in 2018, sixth most 20-plus yard pass plays for running backs and second most 40-plus yard pass plays for running backs. Uh, he's just a guy who can break one. It, there's very few people like him who every time they have the ball in their hands, they can break it for a long touchdown, um, and, and he's one of those guys. Yeah, I love those numbers on the big plays. And when you mentioned how two years ago he had seven rushes for over 40 yards – that just reminded me of the uh, the podcast you and Apatria did on the Bears, where they had, what, two 40-yard <laughs> plays in so, all of last year? It was Anthony Miller. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really strong stat to keep in mind in terms of the home run ability of, of Saquon Barkley. And I think we're more, more, like, more likely to get a year like 2018, that rookie year we had over 2,000 scrimmage yards, led the NFL, and last year he was down to 1441. But as you mentioned, he had those three missed games, had the ankle injury. Uh, but you, you got to you got to you got to love the love that his teammates showed him last year to make sure he got to a thousand yards rushing. He got for got one thousand and three. Um, 
got in the end zone eight times. And, you know, I'm a little concerned about that floor, four games under 10 last year. But as you mentioned, with those big plays, what a crazy upside. He had a game with 33 fantasy points and another one with 46. As a whole, uh, certainly not as strong of an investment as the guy who's sort of neck and neck with him for, for most is the most exciting player, Christian McCaffrey, the guy who's going to get so many yards from scrimmage. Uh, Barkley just wasn't as consistent, and so it was worth it to pay up for McCaffrey compared to Barkley on most weeks. But I but I expect a lot more from Barkley this year. Hopefully he'll stay healthy. Now, the rest of the running back group, a um, little bit of a different dynamic now because we've got <laughs> Deion Lewis in town this year. Um, it's a guy who's been in the league for seven years, coming over from Tennessee. He had a down year last year. Do you think he'll fit in and uh, be productive as a third down back and catch some passes? Um, yeah, I do, actually. I wouldn't target him in DFS, and I don't think he's going to have a big third down role because Barkley is a three down back, true true workhorse, especially when he's healthy. Um, and I think he's one of you, – you mentioned McCaffrey. There's there's only a handful full of running backs that are at that elite level, and he's one of them. But I think Lewis was a good addition to this team. He's going to – Sprinkle in here and there, and I think his main goal is to uh, keep Barkley healthy for the long haul. Maybe he steals some carries, maybe he steals some third down um, snaps and whatnot. And and Saquon Barkley's role goes from 90% of snaps to 86, but that's going to benefit him in the long term. So is adding all these offensive linemen and overhauling this much needed offensive line. Um, but I, I like Lewis's role as a in that mold, I don't. I wouldn't really pay up for him, but I think he's his main objective is to uh, keep Barkley healthy and uh, save preserve him for the long haul. And if something did happen to Barkley, he would probably step into that one A role with Wayne Gallman. Gallman probably more between the tackles. Lewis more of a third down role with a little between the tackles. Again, I I see a committee there, so I wouldn't really lean towards either of them. But I think it was a pretty good addition in case something did happen to Barkley. Yeah, I think those are wise words on not wanting to invest in Lewis in DFS, at least initially. Um, really shocking numbers last year, I thought, in Tennessee. His ceiling game was 9.7 fantasy <laughs> points, and that is just that's just unacceptable. That's a guy you cannot pay for in DFS. But I'm looking back at the numbers from New England and looking at his potential, and I think the potential's there. And I want to give you a couple numbers to show you how I think they misused him in Tennessee. And I know you want you needed to get Derrick Henry on the field. Yeah. But, you know, Lewis was out there quite a bit. He, he was out there for 37 percent of the snaps, uh, but they just didn't use him to his potential. So listen to these numbers. Last year in Tennessee, he was on the field for 366 plays and he got 373 yards from scrimmage. So basically one yard per play that he was out there. If you go back to 2017 in New England, he was on the field for 405 plays and he accumulated 1,110 yards from scrimmage. So just completely night and day with, you know, how efficient he was when he was on the field. So, you know, I put that on the Tennessee coaching staff and, you know, Joe Judge was there in New England when he was that effective and, um, you know, he was a, a big play guy. He was a valuable DFS asset. And so I'm curious to see if the Giants can get back to that and, uh, you know, find ways to get Lewis in 
positive situations where he can make a strong impact. And one thing that I do want to point out, especially with that, is um, Jason Garrett's the, the new offensive coordinator here. And one thing the last couple of years that Cowboys fans were hammering down on is why isn't Ezekiel Elliott more involved when they get to the red zone? He's prime prime um, offensive guy and biggest playmaker from the between the 20s. But when they got inside the red zone, he kind of drifted away from Elliott. Hopefully we don't see that with Barkley. And if it does, and if they do switch uh, Barkley in and out, Lewis probably gets in that a little bit more than, than Gallman um, or, or one of them comes in. But um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate that Lewis goes from uh, Derrick Henry to now behind Barkley there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's obviously getting up there in age for running back also at, at 29. I think he's got a little bit left. So we'll see if they can take advantage of his skill. Now, the other guy you mentioned is Wayne Gallman. And he actually had one strong game when he stepped in for the injured Barkley last year. Do you think he can be productive if Barkley goes down again? Um, less productive now that they have Lewis and they'll be in a committee. Uh, last year when Barkley went down, it was pretty much his role and his role only. He was getting force-fed carries even if he wasn't productive with them. This year I see more of a committee and he's not a guy I want to target in a committee. I'll target anybody if I know that they can get 15 to 20 carries and there's really no competition, but he's not an, a, a, he's not at the talent level that he can thrive in a committee. Yeah. He, he really had most of his production in that one game week four against Washington last year. He got a touchdown on the ground and a touchdown through the air. That was the first week that Barkley was out. But then after that, he was banged up and uh, just kind of disappeared. <laughs> so I agree the the presence of Lewis could be a problem if, if Gallman does get a start. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right, let's transition to the wide receiver group. Um, along with the departure of Eli Manning, the Giants lost Cody Latimer and Benny Fowler. Not huge names, but they combined for 47 catches, almost 500 yards, two scores. So there is some room there for, um, you know, extra touches to go around. But um, if the, Primary targets out wide can stay healthy. This is quite a group led by yeah. led by Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Yeah, and then uh, the the veteran there, Golden Tate. This this is a pretty good group. If you prorate Tate and Shepard's um, numbers throughout the whole for whole year, I know Tate missed multiple games with a PAD suspension, um, and last year was his lowest catch rate since his rookie year. I'll start with him because he's probably the uh, quote-unquote number one on this team, 57.6% um, catch rate. He he was dealing with a Eli Manning on his last grasp, last gasp of NFL life, and a Daniel Jones who was just a rookie. But it was also his highest yards per catch since his Seattle days in 2013. Uh, so his 11 in 11 games he had 85 targets, 49 catches, 679 yards, and what stood out to me was six touchdowns. So he was used uh, in the red zone when he was playing a lot more than in his career. Um, but if you prorate those two 16 games, that's 123 targets, not bad, 71 catches, not his Detroit days, but still pretty good, uh, 983 yards, pretty much on par, and uh, almost nine touchdowns. He's been an extremely consistent guy since that last year in Seattle and his Detroit days. I know Detroit's a lot uh, more pass-friendly, but he's a valuable chain mover and a third guy, not someone who's – he can make the occasional big play, but um, I think he's – 
he's probably going to be the most consistent of this wide receiver group to me. But if you're looking for a guy to make that that big game-changing play, uh, I would lean probably towards Slayton. Yeah, I agree. In terms of DFS, Golden Tate, much more of a cash game play, very consistent. Uh, last year, when he got into his groove, he finished nine of the last 10 games with at least 10 fantasy points, but just didn't quite have that upside. upside. His ceiling games were 24 and 25. And I agree. He's a really valuable piece, very consistent. Uh, he had four straight years in Detroit with at least 90 receptions. So that's a guy they really can count on to move the chains. And like you said, they're going to target him in the red zone enough to get six touchdowns. He's certainly worth consideration. Mm-hmm. But let's transition to these uh, these guys who are more of the home run hitters, <laughs> Slayton and Shepard. Yeah, so Slayton uh, had nine starts last year, 14 games. First couple of weeks, he didn't really take do much, but then he took off uh, when Shepard got hurt and, and he had to play. But he built chemistry with Daniel Jones all throughout the summer, so they were both on the second team offense. Uh, he is their best downfield threat, and he is a burner. Uh, let's His numbers last year, 84 targets, one behind Golden Tate for the team lead, 48 catches, 740 yards, and uh, 740 yards led the team, and so did the eight touchdowns that he scored. So he is a big play guy waiting to happen. Uh, last year, he had nine games over 80% of the snaps. Uh, two 100-yard two games, three multi-touchdown games, and nine games with five-plus targets. Uh, he is more of a deep flyer. He's going to be third to fourth option in the pass game here. Um, but he is that boomer bust guy that if you're looking for a prime matchup where he's going to be on a nickel corner uh, and, and they can't really guard him there, he's he's the guy that's going to beat you over the top the most. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, he is a burner. He looks at Saquon Barkley and says, Saquon, come on, you got to pick it up. <laughs> Slate, Slayton ran a 4-3-9-40, and he's always going to hold that over Barkley, who was at 4-4-40. He <laughs> <You know>, just, <laughs> just nudged him out. But, uh, yeah, those those ceiling games are huge. A 35 game against Philly and 37 against the Jets. And his floors you know, weren't even that bad. He also had a streak there with six of seven games with at least 10 fantasy points. So, um, not a bad floor for a rookie and, and really impressive overall numbers. Uh, he's trending in the right direction and definitely going to be a target for me. His price never got above five and a half K last year on DraftKings. I imagine he'll be more expensive this year, but a really terrific impact and uh, a great weapon to balance out with Golden Tate underneath. Reminds me of like a Deshaun Jackson type who will, will have very high ceiling um, and, and could make that big play, that home run play anytime. Absolutely. Then we got a little bit of a hybrid in Sterling Shepard. Uh, he can get you some big plays, uh, but he also uh, is a pretty high-volume guy in terms of receptions. He led the team last year with 57 catches. Yeah, I think he's best in the slot, and that might be where he plays, but Golden Tate's also really good in the slot. Uh, it's very weird how they do that, but Shepard is, I think he could take the number one receiver role here um, if, if he can stay healthy. That's pretty much been the thing theme on his career. His career has been similar. His best two years were cut short. Uh, last year, it was his lowest yards per reception. Um, he also, if you prorate him to 16 games because he got hurt, he had 83 targets. That would have been 124, one more than uh, Golden Tate. 
He had 57 catches. He could have prorated it to 85. 576 yards would have been low for him. 800 would have been prorated to 864. And the three touchdowns, which um, we'll hope for some improvement. But I could easily see this guy getting 100 targets plus this year. Maybe the 124 he could have had last year, I can see that easily. Uh, 80 catch guy, 1,000 yards. He is, like you said, a hybrid of these two. And that's why I think in the right circumstances, he could easily be the number one on this team. 68.7 catch percentage. Uh, he, he is He's talented. He just needs to stay healthy. And he's going to have a lot of weapons around him. So he, he's going to have more single coverage to work with. And I'm glad you mentioned the prorated numbers there because even with the injuries, he's averaged about 60 catches for 700 yards and four touchdowns in his career. But he only played 10 games last year. If he gets a full season, I think we're talking more like, you know, 80 catches for, you know, nine to a, 900 to 1,000 yards. Um, he didn't have quite the ceiling games as Slayton. He only had one game over 30, and he did have four games under 10. So not the best floor, and two of those floor games were against Philly. So that's one takeaway. <laughs> I, we can't play Sterling Shepard against Philly. If there's one thing to, <laughs> to learn from this podcast today, uh, that's it. But uh, – yeah, going to be exciting if those three can stay healthy. If not, one guy who might get a shot is Corey Coleman, and he is a former first-round draft pick who yeah. hasn't he hasn't really done it yet. Do you have any confidence that he would jump into any of those spots and make a positive impact? Um, not if only one of them are hurt. If two, then yeah, but we still haven't gotten to uh, probably – I mean, I keep saying it. I do like all of these playmakers, but we haven't gotten to their tight end position, which is also exciting. Uh, so Corey Coleman, he hasn't put anything together. I know me and you, uh, we were talking about Lacan Treadwell a few podcasts ago, former first rounder who hasn't put anything together. Sometimes a change of scenery. Coleman had a chance last year and then he got hurt and didn't get a chance to uh, build on what people were saying. He was having a good camp. I don't really expect him to do much if he got the opportunity, but if a couple people went down, uh, they need someone to throw to. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence in him either. Career catch rate of 43.9%. Yeah, he hasn't had the best quarterbacks around him, but he just hasn't quite uh, put it all together yet. So let's go to uh, the tight end group because I am also very excited about Evan Ingram. This is a guy who is terrific for fantasy so uh, talk to me about about Ingram. Yeah, so first-round pick in 2017. Um, I've said it. I think I said it on Shepard. He could be the number one target. Slayton could, or Tate could be it. But if I'm going all throughout pass catchers and including tight end, I think Ingram is the most capable of this group to produce elite numbers, especially at his position. Um, just like Shepard, the big thing on this guy Stay healthy. Can you stay healthy for a 16-game season, and can you provide for a 16-game season? The last two years, he's missed 13 games. Um, DFS, that's okay because uh, we're only week-to-week basis. But uh, you can't – when he's not in the lineup and you can't even look at him, it, that's a that's a big miss right there. 68 targets. Uh, I have to do the prorated for a lot of these guys because they've all missed games. But 68 targets last year, 44 catches, 467 yards, three touchdowns. If you double that, that's 136 targets, would have led the team. 88 catches, 934 yards, six touchdowns, 11.5 yards per reception for his career. 
Uh, that's pretty much that's close to Zach Ertz numbers. And Zach Ertz is a top five tight end in this game. Evan Ingram could jump up to that upper echelon of tight ends if he can just stay healthy. He has the potential to be the number one on this team. And he's the biggest yak guy on this team. Uh, 640 yards after catch in 19 games the last two years for a tight end. That's that's very, very intriguing to me. And his body, his his size, his speed, his power. Uh, he just needs to stay healthy, and I think he's going to have a breakout year if he can do that. Yeah, I agree. This guy is, uh, you know, top five at tight end potentially with the types of production he can give you. Great speed for a tight end. He's four four two forty. So <laughs> terrific athlete. Guy just needs to stay healthy. Only playing eight games last year. Very good floor. Uh, he's got this ceiling as well. He had a twenty six and a thirty one game last year. Not not overly expensive. Um, so we've seen Eli Manning rely on the tight end a lot throughout his career. And it's good to see Daniel Jones do the same here. Uh, I think Ingram uh, is, is going to be a really important part of this offense. Now, because he basically missed the second half of the season, we actually got to see a little bit of Caden Smith last year. He ended up playing in nine games and put up decent numbers. He had uh, four of seven games where he, he so he, he played in nine games, but he only got targeted in seven games. And in the seven games he got targeted, four of those games he had at least five catches. And for a guy who basically played half the season and come up with 31 catches, 268 yards, and three touchdowns, I mean, those are the numbers for a lot of tight ends around the NFL who play a full season. <laughs> so uh, 74% catch rate. Uh and he was cheap. You know, he never got more expensive than 3.7K. Uh, so there's a guy who I think is certainly under the radar. Uh, but if in- in- Ingram goes down, I wouldn't hesitate to play Caden Smith. Yeah, and, and they lost Rhett Ellison uh, this offseason. So that's more snaps for him who he was competing with when Ingram went down. I'm hoping Ingram doesn't go down because he's a guy I want to target early and often. But Caden Smith, like you mentioned, he's a capable guy to fill in if you need a cheap tight end there um, who can, can produce volume there. But the only thing with him is uh, he would be a distant fourth on the, the totem pole right there, maybe fifth because Barkley's still going to be involved in the passing game. But, if, I mean, the, the tight end position after the first few is is up for grabs. If you, if you see the matchup, he's definitely someone to to look at on the, on the cheap, and you can pay up for – elites at other positions. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up here, Santino, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Santino Cocone. That's at S-A-N-T-I-N-O-C-A-C-C-O-N-E. And you can find me at Language Olympic. Uh, again, you can find the crew at the website dfscoachtalk.com. Uh, our fearless leader, Joe Sarvati, Likes us to mention his favorite charity, which is mambaon3.org. Um, if you haven't uh, you know, seen what we do or heard about it, we pride ourselves on using the eye test, hand-building our lineups as we give uh, daily advice. And we're going to continue to do these free podcasts on a daily basis as we roll through the NFL. Uh, Santino, feels like we've just flown through this episode any final thoughts on on the giants do you think they'll um be able to get more than four wins this year if everybody stays healthy (laughs) 
Um, as far as winning, I don't know because that's that's a lot of turnover, especially on defense that was already bad, and now you're going younger. I don't know if they'll be four games, uh, win more than four games, but if their defense doesn't do good, that only helps in their offense because they're going to have to be in catch-up mode. And we we've mentioned we like a lot of these these guys, Barkley, Ingram, a lot of their wide receivers. Uh, it's only going to benefit them if their defense stinks. For fantasy. I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. This could be a really important team in fantasy, even if they don't get more than four wins, because they've shown they've shown the ability to score. And a lot of these teams, like Washington, that we talked about yesterday, they don't have any offensive punch, so you don't get a high-scoring game. But the Giants are willing to score and, and score a lot, pass a lot through the air, and they give up a lot also. So uh, certainly some fantasy goodness to come out of the Giants matchups. So. Mm-hmm. That'll do it for today. Uh, Please do tune in again tomorrow as Coach and I break down the Cowboys. And uh, and give us a thumbs up wherever you're you're listening, watching. Again, if you're just listening, you can find our podcast now on YouTube with a video. So uh, we appreciate all of your support. Thank you again for tuning in. On behalf of Santino Cocon, I am Andrew Hansen. You have been watching and listening to DFS Coach Talk.